I felt a funeral in my brain and mourners to and fro kept treading, treading till it seemed that sense was breaking through. And when they were all seated, a service like a drum kept beating, beating till I thought my mind was going numb. And then I heard them lift a box and creak across my soul with those same boots of lead again, then space began to toll. As all the heavens were a bell and being but an ear, an eye and silence, some strange race, wrecked, solitary, here. And then a plank in reason broke and I dropped down and down and hit a world at every plunge and finished knowing then I felt a funeral in my brain by Emily Dickinson welcome 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 to the composition podcast episode 11 as always it's your host Dermaine thank you for tuning in if you're out there listening um, that opening poem there, it was very vivid. When I read it, it really sat in my mind. I was able to visualize it. So I was definitely wanted to share it with you all. It comes from a very well-known writer named Emily Dickinson. Uh, she's one of the most prominent American writers, excuse me, American poets that we have in her era of poetry, the eight, early 1800s. Her style of poetry was just so unorthodox that when she became famous after her death, it really took on a new life of its own. Um, Emily Dickinson was born December 10th, 1830 in Amherst, Massachusetts, where she lived out pretty much all of her life. She was a very private individual. She didn't uh, travel much and pretty much anything that's known about her is through the correspondence of family and friends, and she didn't really have too many friends. Uh, most of her poetry, virtually all of her poetry, was published and made public after her death by her younger sister. And that is really when it all began for Emily Dickinson. It kind of sucks that she wasn't able to see the, the, the fruits of her own labor during her life. But like I said, that name is always going to live on through time. That poem right there really, really sat with me. I hope you all enjoyed it. It really doesn't have a relation to anything I'm going to talk about today. Definitely not our book of the week, but shout out to Emily Dickinson for all of her work. Over 1,800 poems. And for it to be viewed the way it is for somebody that didn't really share is amazing. Um, Huge shout out to her again. And our book of the week for this week, Clotel or the President's Daughter. Um, it took me actually a while, way longer than I thought it would take for me to read it. It was just so much going on in the book that I actually had to reread a few things a few times. I'm not going to lie. This was the first time in a long time I was absolutely lost reading a book. But I did enjoy it, and I can't wait to recap a little bit of it with you all. But of course, before I get into the book, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on. Finally, 
finally, finally, finally, nominee for Supreme Court Justice Kentanji Brown Jackson has been elected to be on the Supreme Court. Fucking congratulations to her. On Thursday, April 7th, the U.S. Senate finally made it official and confirmed her nomination even after the Republicans really dragged her for fucking weeks and months on end. Judge Jackson was confirmed on a 53 to 47 vote with three Republican three Republicans, excuse me, joining the all 50 members that voted for her. So again, shout out to her. That's fucking huge. Not only just for her personally, but again, sorry to make this racy, but for African Americans as a whole, this is a huge step. Something that we would have never thought to be possible something we've never seen before it's right in our faces it, it it erases that excuse of it can't be done because again like anything else that we always dreamed unimaginable it's being done shoot shout out to her all of the fucking 50 democrats that voted for her and a huge 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 shout out for the fucking three republicans that voted for her and made it possible i wish i could get their names right now but fuck them and thank them at the same time yeah what else has been going on since we're talking about legal shit marijuana yes mary jane in all forms is to be legal on the federal level fucking mind-blowing right marijuana anybody and everybody has somebody that has either been locked up or even worse over weed so to see where it's elevated in just a few short years i remember my first time smoking weed and how bad i felt not for doing it but for sneaking to do it for being in certain environments where I know this is like frowned upon but now everywhere you go there's just people walking around young old blazing up I think it's absolutely beautiful but sorry to go off on a tangent there so this report I'm about to read from is from Forbes.com from a writer named Will Yakowicz I believe I'm saying that right but Will reported on April 1st 2022 that the U.S. House of Representatives has passed the MORE Act, also known as the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. It was introduced by Judiciary Chairman of the House, Gerard Nadler, or Nadler, not sure, and he's a Democrat from New York. So, this is the second time that the bill has passed through the House, but when it comes to the Senate, not so much. So this bill doesn't necessarily make weed legal. Let's just, you know, cancel that out right now. But it does decriminalize marijuana on a federal level. That gives states the power to determine what uh, amount of marijuana, if at all, is legal. And there isn't a federal fucking punishment for being caught with marijuana. Now, what does that mean for interstate marijuana travel? Hey, look, man, I'm not a politician. Don't ask me. But the fact that marijuana has been decriminalized on a federal level changes a lot for people that might be in prison on a federal level behind it. Um, I, I was reading somewhere that it was saying that people that have been charged 
with marijuana-based offenses. Now, through this act, they're able to get their uh, recreational marijuana cards or their um, marijuana distribution cards to be able to sell marijuana. So that's a really interesting uh, tidbit of information. I'm not necessarily sure if that's true, but if it is, that's a really fucking great thing. Let us find out America's trying to change some shit. <laughs> of course, we all know why it is now. It's it's virtually unstoppable. Everybody smokes weed, so if you can't beat them, join them. I completely understand that from the federal government. So yeah, let's all get high. Actually, while getting high, while hitting the J, I saw that Will Smith will be banned from the Oscars for ten years. Um, for the Academy to actually go as far as banning him, I guess it was necessary. It's not surprising, but 10 years does seem like a really long time for a first time offender. And then for like the, the darling child of Hollywood, like I can't name too many actors that are bigger than Will Smith. I'm just thinking in my head. What would be the consequence of a fucking, I don't know, Robert Downey Jr. or a fucking Brad Pitt or Ryan Gosling? If one of these guys smacked somebody, I wanted to say Johnny Depp, but the world's not on his side right now. Prayers for Johnny Depp, too, in that whole Amber Heard trial. Um, I've taken a few minutes out of each day to kind of look at that shit. It's really really crazy it's too much going on and those fucking youtube trial videos are way too long so only watch a few minutes of it but prayers for johnny depp what he's going through i think is is, is really really evil but yeah aside from that i would have never guessed that 10 years for will smith i don't believe he'll end up serving the whole punishment but of course they have to make an example and he's a top guy he's at the top of the the hollywood food chain so if he can do it we have to make an example for any random guy that comes in so I, I get that perspective. It's just kind of like, wow, for a slap. But then again, it is a slap. On one hand, you want to look at it like it's not that big of a deal. But then on the other hand, if this was your organization, your association, with the reputation that it has, you would probably do the exact same thing. So understandable from the academy. Prayers for Will Smith. I don't really think he gives a fuck. But... We can't really ever pinpoint what Will Smith feels. We just got to pray for him and hope that whatever he's going through, whatever he went through, it won't be, you know, a fucking detriment to his career moving forward. He's fucking top of the brass when it comes to African-American culture and just American culture, period. Hollywood culture, period. Like, he's really one of those dudes. So, hate to see this happening to him. Um, lastly, what do I have for pop culture? Tom Brady again. This might as well be the Tom Brady fucking fan club slash conspiracy theory podcast. Um, so it's being reported from a few NFL analysts and reporters whose names I don't really give a fuck about mentioning that Tom Brady was confirmed to be leaving the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go sign with the Miami Dolphins as part owner slash quarterback he was going to be an active player and then as he transitioned into retirement become part owner of the miami dolphins 
But of course, after the Brian Flores lawsuit, which I've spoke about in a previous podcast, go check that out. After that lawsuit, of course, it couldn't happen, completely failed through. He retires and ends up back with the Buccaneers this forthcoming season. Wow. Um, That means a few things. One, Tom Brady has the most pull of any quarterback we've ever seen. I can't remember, especially not in my lifetime, but I tried researching and couldn't find any quarterback that was also part owner. The closest thing we got to that, two names, Jackie Moon, Michael Jordan with the Washington Wizards. Disastrous time. Uh, if you're if you're from the area, you know all about that fucking bullshit. But um, yeah, those are the only two times. Jackie Moon's a fictional character, by the way. Um, yeah, so it, it shows that Tom Brady has the most influence of any quarterback ever. And two... He really can do whatever he wants in the NFL. The guy was going to be playing. First off, he forced Bruce Arians off of the Buccaneers. Once he came back, Bruce Arians completely just retired and went to the head office. And this is because of the opinion of a guy that was about to leave this team to go to another team and play and own at the same time. It's fucking mind-blowing. Tom Brady really has, uh, he's really that dude. Just like Will Smith, but even more so. <laughs> I can't believe, like, I read that and I just couldn't fucking... I can fathom it simply because it's him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's going to be more news. Like, after this, I'm sure that Tom Brady has a million moves lined up for the rest of his career. Like, this is just going to be one of many that's going to end up coming out in the next few months or years. I guarantee you that. The guy was going to be part owner... Of the team he's playing for. That's a different level of fucking... I don't know if you guys are aware, but NFL money is a different level of money. All of those NFL owners, team owners, are really stupid, dumb rich. So for this guy to even be able to be accepted into that that field, that room, it means he, he really has a, a different level of influence and... I believe once he does retire, we'll see how that that uh, influence spreads into different fields. Just keep your eye open for Tom Brady. Trust me, it's not the last you'll hear of that fucking name. So for literature this week, my book of the week is called Clotel or The President's Daughter, written by a gentleman by the name of William Wells Brown. William Wells Brown is considered to be the first African-American to have a novel published in America. He also had a poetry book and a travel book published. So huge shout out to William Wells Brown for that. Uh, Because this book, Clotel, was so much information for my brain to process and I was rereading and rereading and rereading just like, wow. And you know, because it involves so many characters, I decided to get the audio book or an audio book version of it also so I can listen to it throughout the day. The audio book that I have comes from Museum audiobooks, and it was narrated by Rodney Lewis Tompkins. Uh, the regular version that I've read uh, comes from Library of America ebook classics, and it was edited by Ezra Greenspan. One of the big differences between the literature form, the page form, and the audio form was the audio form had this whole preface 
about William Wells Brown's life, which was really amazing. Um, it was almost confusing at first because I thought I was reading something completely different. But it really told you his whole backstory about being born in Kentucky into slavery to a, a white father and a black slave mother. And just his travels up to Massachusetts where he really became a man and made a name for himself. Something that you don't really ever hear about in any type of history book. That one, that really set the stage for me to enjoy the book. And it really gave context to everything that uh, Mr. Brown is writing about. It's not just his slave fantasies or some stories that he believed or made up in his head. These are things that could actually be based on his own experiences and the people he's met throughout his life. So I think that's just another dope layer to the story. Um, Clotel, the main character, I guess, if you will, the book really bounces around from about four or five or six different characters, which is why I got the audio book to kind of like create the images in my head because it was kind of really hard to follow. But this young lady, as the book has it, is uh, the slave daughter of Thomas Jefferson, and she's sold into slavery. One thing I thought was really interesting in the book, and I usually don't ever give out details like this before the excerpt or without really, you know, allowing you to read it for yourself, but she was sold into slavery while her and her uh, sisters and her mother were all like really light, almost passing for white. And even through that, there was no expense spared because they were still slaves. They were still black women. They were still niggas, essentially, so nobody really cared. And for her to have come from someone who was seen as so prominent, like even today, whose name holds so much weight, to have this, these unfortunate events happen to her and nobody ever really give a fuck, only in this book would you ever hear her story. And I think it's really important to share that story. Although... Uh, he makes it clear that most of uh, what takes place in this book is based in fiction. They do involve real characters and real occurrences. So for myself, I can't really decipher what's real and what's not, but he definitely helps create a picture that's all too real in my head. So let's see, what do I want to do for my excerpt? Uh, let's go to page... Whew. 18. Our excerpt is going to be pages 18 through 25. I'm going to do a little bit of a longer excerpt. I usually do around three or four pages, but um, I feel like these pages that I'm going to read to you encompass uh, a lot of what's going on in the story. Not a lot of what's going on because there's a lot going on, but it encompasses a lot of Clotel's story, the beginning of her story, how it transitions, and Without giving up too many of the unfortunate events, this is this is the beginning of it. So, yeah, pages 18 through 25, if you have the book, let's get into it, all right? In all the large towns in the southern states, there's a class of slaves who are permitted to hire their time of their owners, and for which they pay a high price. These are mulatto women, or quadroons, as they are familiarly known and are distinguished for their fascinating beauty. The handsomest usually pays the highest price for her time. 
many of these women are the favorites of persons who furnish them with the means of paying their owners. And not a few are dressed in the most extravagant manner. Reader, when you take into consideration the fact that amongst the slave population no safeguard is thrown around virtue, and no inducement held out to slave women to be chaste, you will not be surprised when we tell you that immorality and vice pervade the cities of the southern states in a manner unknown in the cities and towns of the northern states. Indeed, most of the slave women have no higher aspiration than that of becoming the finely dressed mistress of some white man. And at Negro balls and parties, this class of women usually cut the greatest figure. At the close of the year, the following advertisement appeared in, news, in a newspaper published in Richmond, the capital of the state of Virginia. Notice, 38 Negroes will be offered for sale on Monday, November 10th at 12 o'clock, being the entire stock of the late John Graves Esquire. The Negroes are in good condition, some of them very prime. Among them are several mechanics able-bodied field hands, plowboys, and women with children at the breast, and some of them very prolific in their generating qualities, affording a rare opportunity to anyone who wishes to raise a strong and healthy lot of servants for their own use. Also, several mulatto girls of rare personal qualities, two of them very superior. Any gentleman or lady wishing to purchase can take any of the above slaves on trial for a week, for which no charge will be made. Amongst the above slaves to be sold were Cure and her two daughters, Clotel and Althesa. The latter were the girls spoken of in the advertisement as very superior. Cure was a bright mulatto and of prepossessing appearance, though then nearly 40 years of age. She had hired her time for more than 20 years, during which time she had lived in Richmond. In her younger days, Kira had been the housekeeper of a young slaveholder, but of later years had been a laundress or washerwoman, and was considered to be a woman of great taste in getting up linen. The gentleman for whom she had kept house was Thomas Jefferson, by whom she had two daughters. Jefferson being called to Washington to fill a government appointment, Cure was left behind, and thus she took herself to the business of washing, by which means she paid her master, Mr. Graves, and supported herself and two children. At the time of the decease of her master, Cure's daughters, Clotel and Althesa, were aged respectively 16 and 14 years, and both like most of their own sex in America, were well-grown. Cure early resolved to bring her daughters up as ladies, as she termed it, and therefore imposed little or no work upon them. As her daughters grew older, Cure had to pay a stipulated price for them. Yet her notoriety as a laundress of the first class enabled her to put an extra price upon her charges, and thus she and her daughters lived in comparative luxury. To bring up Clotel and Althesa to attract attention, and especially at balls and parties, was the great aim of Cure. Although the term Negro Ball is applied to most of these gatherings, 
yet a majority of the attendants are often whites. Nearly all the Negro parties in the cities and towns of the southern states are made up of quadroon and mulatto girls and white men. These are democratic gatherings where gentlemen, shopkeepers, and their clerks all appear upon terms of perfect equality. And there is a degree of gentility and decorum in these companies that is not surpassed by similar gatherings of white people in the slave states. It was at one of these parties that Horatio Green, the son of a wealthy gentleman of Richmond, was first introduced to Clotel. The young man had just returned from college and was in his 22nd year. Clotel was 16 and was admitted by all to be the most beautiful girl, colored or white, in the city. So attentive was the young man to the quadroon during the evening that it was noticed by all and became a matter of general conversation, while Kira appeared delighted beyond measure at her daughter's conquest. From that evening, young Green became the favorite visitor at Kira's house. He soon promised to purchase Clotel as speedily as it could be effected and make her mistress of her own dwelling. And Kira looked forward with pride to the time when she should see her daughter emancipated and free. It was a beautiful moonlit night in August when all who reside in tropical climes are eagerly gasping for a breath of fresh air that Horatio Green was seated in a small garden behind Kira's cottage with the object of his affections by his side. And it was here that Horatio drew from his pocket the newspaper, wet from the press, and read the advertisement for the sale of the slaves to which we have alluded, Kira and her two daughters being of the number. At the close of the evening's visit, and as the young man was leaving, he said to the girl, you shall soon be free and your own mistress. As might have been expected, the day of the sale brought an unusual large number together to compete for the property to be sold. Farmers who make a business of raising slaves for the market were there. Slave traders and speculators were also numerously represented and in the midst of this throng was one who felt a deeper interest in the result of the sale than any other of the bystanders. This was young Green. True to his promise, he was there with the blank bank check in his pocket, awaiting with impatience to enter the list as a bidder for the beautiful slave. The less valuable slaves were first placed upon the auction block, one after another, and sold to the highest bidder. Husbands and wives were separated with a degree of indifference that is unknown in any other relation of life except that of slavery. Brothers and sisters were torn from each other, and mothers saw their children leave them for the last time on this earth. It was late in the day when the greatest number of persons were thought to be present that Kira and her daughters were brought forward to the place of sale. Kira was first ordered to ascend the auction stand, which she did with a trembling step. Althesa, the youngest, and who was scarcely less beautiful than her sister, was sold to the same trader for $1,000. Clotel was the last, and as was expected, commanded a higher price than any that had been offered for sale that day. The appearance of Clotel on the auction block created a deep 
sensation amongst the crowd. There she stood, with a complexion as white as most of those who were waiting with a wish to become her purchaser. Her features as finely defined as any of her sex of pure Anglo-Saxon. Her long black wavy hair done up in the neatest manner. Her form tall and graceful and her whole appearance indicating one superior to her position. The auctioneer commenced by saying that Miss Clotel had been reserved for the last because she was the most valuable. How much, gentlemen? Real albino, fit for a fancy girl for anyone. She enjoys good health and has a sweet temper. How much do you say? $500. Only 500 for such a girl as this? Gentlemen, she is worth a deal more than that sum. You certainly don't know the value of the article you are bidding upon. Here, gentlemen, I hold in my hand a paper certifying that she has a good moral character. 700. Aw, oh, gentlemen, that is something like. This paper also states that she is very intelligent. 800. She is a devoted Christian and, a perf and perfectly trustworthy. 900. 950. 10. 11. 1200. Here the sale came to a dead stand. The auctioneer stopped, looked around, and began in a rough manner to relate some anecdotes related to the sale of slaves which, he said, had come under his own observation. At this juncture, the scene was indeed strange. Laughing, joking, swearing, smoking, spitting, and talking kept up a continual hum and noise amongst the crowd. While the slave girl stood with tears in her eyes, at one time looking towards her mother and sister, and at another towards the young man whom she hoped would become her purchaser. The chastity of this girl is pure, she has never been from under her mother's care. She is a virtuous creature. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, fifteen hundred dollars, cried the auctioneer, and the maiden was struck for that sum. This was a southern auction, at which the bones, muscles, sinews, blood, and nerves of a young lady of sixteen were sold for five hundred dollars. Her moral, her moral character for 200, her improved intellect for 100, her Christianity for 300, and her chastity and virtue for $400 more. And this, too, in a city thronged with churches, whose tall spires look like so many signals pointing to heaven, and whose ministers preach that slavery is a God-ordained institution. What words can tell the inhumanity, the atrocity, and the immorality of that doctrine which, from exalted office, commends such a crime to the favor of enlightened and Christian people? What indignation from all the world is not due to the government and people who put forth all their strength and power to keep in existence such an institution? Nature abhors it. The age repels it and Christianity needs all her meekness to forgive it. Clotel was sold for $1,500, but her purchaser was Horatio Green. Thus closed a Negro sale, of which two daughters of Thomas Jefferson, 
the writer of the Declaration of American Independence, and one of the presidents of the great republic, were disposed of to the highest bidder. O oh God, my every heartstring cries, dost thou these scenes behold, and this our boasted Christian land, and must the truth be told? Blush, Christian, blush, for e'en the darkness, untutored heathen see, thy inconsistency, and lo, they scorn thy God and thee. Right, so that's going to be the end of my excerpt. And like I said, that uh, excerpt really, that scene there really is the catalyst for the rest of Clotel's life. Her and Horatio end up together for a short period of time, but then they end up going on the run. Um, they do make it a nice distance away for a short period of time, but then it all just goes downhill from there. Um... I really wish there was something good I can say in, in terms of how the rest of the story plays out for these four characters, but no. Um, I can say they all have a great deal of fight in them, and they all ended up having to accept their fate for what it was, and they all did it honorably, so respect to the characters if they did exist and if this is an accurate story for how they did go about um, pursuing their freedom and accepting when freedom wasn't a choice, either living with the circumstance or dying fighting the cause. Um, go check out the story for sure because I think you'd be surprised. Um, the story really breaks down all four of their lives as they were uh, after this slave auction Althesa, her two daughters, and Horatio. But like I said, it really is sad what, what they all go through. They really all have a fight. Um, I can say, you know, I've given up a few details already. At the end of the story, Clotel's death is really sad. She pretty much is cornered on a bridge and jumps into the lake to meet her demise, lake or river, but it's like right in front of the White House where <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is, is serving his office. Um, it doesn't necessarily say if he was president at the time, but it does say he's at the White House. He's in uh, D.C. And somehow, after all of the situations that she goes through nationwide, she ends up in Virginia, close to D.C., right over the bridge, front of the White House and that's where she dies pretty much right in front of her father it's like some fucking Macbeth shit but for sure go check out this book um, again I had the audio version and the actual text version the audio version uh, from Museum Audiobooks has an entire hour long um, preface about the life, the actual life of Wo uh, William Wells Brown and that was freaking amazing really um, where it talks about everything he was able to accomplish. It talks about how uh, for a short period of time after he after he was lucky enough to gain his uh, freedom, he had a very forgiving slave master, if you will. So it ends up getting his freedom. He ended up uh, close to the Buffalo, New York area 
becomes a banker, has a really hard time, but ends up finding success, becomes kind of like a pseudo mayor of the area, uh, becomes a writer, he's in prison for a bit, goes on the run, ends up in London, I believe. Yeah, I believe it's London where he ends up becoming a published writer. And yeah, he really lived in a, a full life, an extreme life. And to get to this point where he writes this amazing story, I really enjoyed it. Again, it kind of was hard to follow because it was just so much going on. Um, but huge suggestion. Again, it's called Clotel or The President's Daughter. For sure, go check it out. Go download it. Go download the audiobook and check out the actual book. Uh, let me find my author's names again. Oh, well, the book is by William Wells Brown. That's the author, but I want to give a shout-out. There's many different forms of the book, of course, because of the age. But, um, yeah, my editor for the text version is Ezra Greenspan. And then... Rodney Lewis Tompkins is the narrator for the audiobook form, so huge shout out to both of them for sure. So, for music this week, I have a song from an artist I found just, you know, scrolling through Instagram one day. But he's actually from the area, from the uh, DMV area. His name, he goes by the name One Great Bastard. The song I found is called Great. It, it's on his project called Wild Wild East, released in uh, April of 2020. His last release, released um, earlier this year, actually is called Praying You Make It Home by One Great Bastard. You can definitely go check that out now. The fucking cover art is dope, so it definitely made me want to get into the project, and the project is really fucking fire. Um, I believe he's from D.C. specifically, but don't quote me on that. Just go check him out let me get his instagram for you his instagram is the same as his stage name at one great bastard spelled you know correct so definitely go give his music a fucking listen again this song i'm going to be playing is called great from his project wild wild east let's for sure get into it um what's the book of the week for next week our book of the week for next week is gonna be a book called the Parting Gift. Hold on one second. Let me get you the author. Yes, so the book is called The Parting Gift. It's a novel by a gentleman named Evan Fallenberg. Um, I don't know why I chose this book. Simply just the cover. It's like a, a white cover. It looks like really biblical. Um, I'm not sure if this is Arabic or Hebrew on the back. Um, but... Yeah, I'm going to get into it. We're going to check it out together for sure. Go download the book, buy the book, whatever you need to do. It's by a gentleman named Evan Fallenberg. Again, it's called The Parting Gift. So, yeah, can't wait to get into that with you for um, our next episode. But, yeah, let's get into this song by One Great Bastard. Great. Here it is. The greatest. The great. Yeah. Gang is untouchable, Ellie and Ness. 
He a bow piece, but turn up in the set. Copy my flow, he a parrot, I guess. Ain't it apparent the best of the best? Don't sweat a clone, got a hole in my chest. Pops be my ass, guess who cleaned up the mess? Never been keep, but the east make you sweat. Pour on my men, gotta move in the cold. If it's one thing that I know, it's the lows. Head same as prisoners in the hole. Out in the city, the pigs on patrol. Meet me in person, can't talk on no phone. Chasing this music like dogs for a bone. Bars in these beats, I swear that's all I know. Used to be ugly, guess who at my shows? It be your haters that love you the most. Letters the Santa will ask for the glow. Knew I would make it, would think it's foretold. Got a foundation as solid as gold. Got a foundation as solid as gold. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born destined to grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born destined to grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born destined to grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born destined to grow. We get it popping like condoms. Please do not blow up my comments. He shooting star, he a comment. Y'all got more jokes than the comics. Young boy will run in your pockets. That's if I don't tell him drop it. Bass more street than the crossing guard. We winning now, but I know a loss. Came from the east, but I had some heart. DC will surely tear that apart. Kids here for fathers like world star. Even strung out of behind bars. That make it easy to spot a fraud. Even your haters can learn your bars. We are not cut from the same cloth. Bastard and demons have danced off. Still keeping job in both palms. Don't hit my phone when I'm work on. 24 hours I'm serving. 24 hours I'm serving. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born that's in the grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born that's in the grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born that's in the grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born that's in the grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show. Not every bastard born that's in the grow. That's in the grow. Grace in my name, it is not there for show.